Welcome to Bible study. Good to see you tonight. We're going to start our time in prayer. So let's take a few moments and ask God's blessing. Father, thanks for your love for us. We thank you that, God, you pour out your love in so many ways. Pray that uh, we be a people that can receive of you, uh, of your love, and of your grace, of your mercy over our lives. We ask God tonight that you would teach us, that we would learn more about you, we'd grow in you. I pray, too, that we could lay down some bad ideas, pick up some really good ideas, and just ask you, God, that you would bring revelation and understanding to us. We thank you tonight for being here, for your presence. We ask, God, that you would work and move by the power of your Holy Spirit in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. Second. Corinthians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, grab one off the table. And a quick reminder that if you are not physically present with us and would like to participate in Bible study, you can do so through a website, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday night Bible study, all one word, and there you can toggle a button and leave us a message. Could be a comment, a question, something God spoke to you, uh, anything really. And we'd love to hear from you, and we will play that at our next meeting. So uh, if you want to avail yourself of that, please do. And we, like I said, we'd love to hear from you. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Someone like to read that? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? All right, thanks. You have a passage where Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about, and he's making a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Talking about between the law and the gospel and as he's making this comparison there really isn't any comparison he's contrasting the two and he's using fairly strong language to do so and and he wanted to make sure I believe to he wanted to make sure that people understood that there is a contrast and there is a difference uh, the Corinthian church was made up of mainly Gentiles uh, Corinth was a very secular city uh, not that there weren't any, there was a synagogue there and there were Jewish people there, but uh, the church was made up of a lot of Gentiles. And so this wasn't a message primarily to the synagogue. This was a message primarily to the church. And so barring those of us that come from Jewish heritage, which I don't think anyone is here tonight that does, at least not that I know of, uh, then this is a message for us. And it really is something that Paul wanted to make sure that the people of the church there understood and really had a real grasp on that. He uses the term glory uh, here. And it's kind of an interesting term because uh, I think of, when I hear the term glory, a lot of times I think of the transfiguration. I don't know if, do you know the story of the transfiguration, anybody? Can you summarize the transfiguration for me? He just got all shiny. He did. Yeah. Who else was at there at the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Who do you think was the shiniest? Jesus. 
Yeah. See, his glory was greater. And so this was something that I think is... Let's turn to Matthew 16, actually. Matthew 16. I won't leave that hanging there. Matthew 16. Say, keep a finger in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. But Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Patrick, since you spoke up, could you read that for us? Matthew 16, 1 through 4. I think I, um, I think I gave you the wrong verse there. That was Matthew sixteen one through four. Yeah, but it looks like the next chapter seventeen. All right, try that. All right, and so you have Jesus, and he's shining like the sun. And so you think about, like, in, in that day, what's brighter than the sun? Nothing, right? He's the brightest, all right? And so there appeared to him as he's shining like the sun, Moses and Elijah. And, and so I get, that, I get that picture when we're talking about the glory, when uh, Paul is speaking to the church here about this glory, the difference between the Old Covenant and of the new covenant and Moses and Elijah were awesome they represent the law and the prophets they represent the old covenant and and all that that meant now we know that Moses prophesied ahead and saw something greater than that and so did Elijah and so they both knew that there was something more that was coming something more that would uh, be the the fuller restoration of what God was doing and and so they could see that and they could see ahead to that but they represented something that was on the road, that they were both on the road to something greater. They were both on the road to something that was going to be better. And so at the Transfiguration, you see that, and, and that's physically represented. I don't know that the disciples that were with Jesus really picked that up in the moment, and they didn't pick up a lot of things in the moment. In fact, Jesus asked them a number of times, are you so dull? And the answer was normally yes. And that's okay, because we're pretty dull too uh, when it comes to certain revelation and certain things that God's trying to show us. And so they, they were probably somewhat dull. They were just shocked and amazed that they saw Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah. And so the, the wrong answer they came up with, we should build tents in order to honor this moment. And that really wasn't what Jesus was looking for. It wasn't the message that was being sent. And it wasn't the revelation that was being given. And, and so, so they, they did the best that they could. But we look at that and we see a contrast being drawn. We see in, in, one, in one way, we see how there is a building upon and we see how there is a kinship to the law and the prophets all the way to Jesus. And there's a connection to that. 
But you also see in this a superiority. You see Jesus as shining more greatly than Moses and Elijah. You see Jesus more glorified than Moses and Elijah. You see Jesus at the center of what's going on there and Moses and Elijah joining with him, not him joining with them. And so there's, a, there's something that's turning over in the middle of the transfiguration, something that's happening there that the disciples are with him couldn't quite get their heads around it because it was so radically different than what they knew or what they believed. But what they were trying to get was they were trying to turn over this whole idea about which is greater. Because in their mind, Moses and Elijah, they were greater. They were the greatest. Everything that they knew, everything they had studied, uh, growing up, any kind of learning they had had in the synagogue or at the temple had been centered on the writings of Moses. They had learned about Elijah from the time they were children. And so they understood Elijah to be one of the greatest of the prophets. And so for them, they represented all that they knew. They represented all of their experience, all of their religion, all of their faith were being represented by those two. And then you think about their relationship with Jesus. They had traveled with Jesus. They were with him. They were eating with him, and they were living with him, and they were moving with him, and they had a personal relationship with him. And a lot of times when you have a personal relationship with somebody, you can't see them for who they are. It makes it difficult, because you see them as that guy that you know. And I know it would be hard for us to think of Jesus that way, because we see him through a different lens than they would, but they would see him as, this is the man that I travel with, this is the man who I share meals with. This is the man who I talk to. This is the man who listens to me or talks to me. And, and they shared experiences together and they had history together. And so we have to understand that, that they would see Jesus in a certain light. And they would see Moses and Elijah in a whole different light. But the transfiguration begins to turn that around. At least it's, it's the beginnings of it. Theologically, it's huge. It's a huge statement that's being made here. For, for people who go back, like us, that go back and study this, there's a huge statement. God is making a huge statement by this. And what he's saying is Jesus is greater. What he's saying is the gospel is greater. What he's saying is this new covenant, this new agreement that God is making with us is greater. That's what he's talking about. That the other covenant, the other, the law, and all that was represented through the law and the prophets can't even stand up to or stand with what Jesus was doing and who Jesus was. He is shockingly greater. And so theologically, it speaks to us of a, of a displacement here going on. A displacement of the old with the new. A displacement of what had been with what is and what shall be. It's a displacement that people even to this day have a hard time understanding. We have a hard time with this. We have a hard time understanding how much greater Jesus is than the law and the prophets. I mean, I read the Old Testament every year. I read through the Old Testament. Sometimes more than once a year. I, I think it's important. I think that it's important for us to understand it, to know it, to understand what the law says, to, uh, to know what the law says. I think it's important for us to look at the prophets, learn from the prophets, see how they prophesied moving forward, and for us to understand the history of God's people. All those things are super important. But they're not greater than Jesus. 
And the bottom line to that theology and to our theology as we begin to set it in what's being presented in the New Testament is that Jesus is the greatest. And that if we're going to understand at this point in history, at this point in God's plan and purpose and the story that we are living in right now, God's story that we're living in, you want to understand the Old Testament, you want to understand the law, and you want to understand the prophets, you're going to understand those through Jesus, through his revelation. You want to begin to understand what Paul is saying in the epistles. You want to understand any aspect of any other aspect of the scriptures. You have to understand them through Jesus. He's the greatest. He is theologically on top. His glory is greater. His revelation is greater. It supersedes all the rest. The rest were leading up to him. The rest were showing the way to them. The rest were pointing toward them. And so he is above and beyond, and his glory is beyond, his revelation is beyond. So I want you to think about for a second what that means to you, what that means to us as Christians, as New Testament believers, as people that are living in this part of the story. What does that mean, or what should that mean? How should that affect us? I want you to think about that for a second, because I'm stating it as strongly as I believe it is. I'm stating it as strongly as the transfiguration showed us. And I'm also stating it as strongly as you're seeing here in 2 Corinthians. Or if you want to read about it in Hebrews. And other places in the New Testament. This is a strong statement that was made through the New Testament. And to begin to understand it and to begin to apply that, I think has some implications on us and how we're going to conduct ourselves and understand what God is saying in the world today. Anybody want to comment? You can. It wasn't that rhetorical. It was sort of rhetorical, but not exactly. Anybody? Go ahead, Dave. As usual, I have a comment. That's fine. <laughs> Hopefully it adds to the discussion. Mm-hmm. And his disciples, they wanted to do the Old Testament thing. Build the tents, build the shrines, whatever, to commemorate that spot, which is how they've done it for the last 4,000 years. Right. And he's, he's changing that. It's like, no, it's about, it's like, it's more about, like, he was conversing. He was having relationship with Moses and Elijah. This is this is what's important. This relationship, this conversing, this being together is more important than making a tent, making an altar, erecting a pole or whatever to commemorate something. Put this in your heart, remember this, and learn from this. Right. It's like the old and the new, that's like the modeling of going forward. Right, and I, I think it's important, and you brought up a great point. They were trying to, to continue down that old road. Well, how are we going to mark this? How are we going to worship? How are we going to respond? Yeah, and they were looking for somehow, they, they felt like I, we should respond some way to this, right? And so they're looking for a way to respond. How are they going to respond? Well, the old way. And Jesus said, no. This isn't the old way. Right. 
And that's, and, and that's an important point in all of this. It's not the old way. Real quick. Yeah. Everything you said reminded me of something I said in a sermon several months ago. I'll paraphrase it. The easiest, simplest way to understand the entire Bible is to go to the cross because the Old Testament looked forward to it and the new looked back. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Right. And, and so that, the implication of that, though, is how do you build what you believe, okay? And, and how are you going to build what you believe? Well, you're going to build what you believe on Jesus, right? And that's how you're going to understand the rest of it. Now, here's the problem, and, I, and I've said this before, and I want to say it again, and hopefully maybe you understand it better this time. Most churches, most modern-day churches are built on the epistles, Right? And if you've ever been to other churches, you kind of understand what I'm saying, if you think about it. They build the way they do things. They build the way they understand things. They build their theology. They build everything on the epistles. That is incorrect. Jesus is the cornerstone. Right? We build on Jesus. So if I want to understand the epistles, it's through Jesus. And if I read something in an epistle, I want you to follow along here. If I read something in an epistle that appears to contradict something that Jesus taught, then I'm going to go with Jesus. And I will understand that epistle through Jesus, not the other way around. All right? I'm not going to change Jesus or his teachings to line up with something that Paul wrote. I'm not going to do it. And none of us should do that. Because we've been given the chief cornerstone. We have that. And so everything's going to be built from that point, backwards or forwards. That's how our understanding is going to have to go. So, so the implication of that is that Jesus is central. And he's key to our understanding and key to our theology. And so we, we move out from there to understand the rest. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah, go ahead. Kim? Would it be right to say if, if you're reading an epistle and it's not lining up, then there's a misinterpretation of the epistle? I would say, I would say that is where you would start. Yep. In other words, I'm reading this, it's not lining up, then I'm reading this wrongly. And if I can't reconcile it, I'm going to lay it down. All right, and that's it. Yeah, go ahead, Kim. What's epistle? It's the letters, like the writings of Paul. Okay. Epistle just means letter. Okay. The letters of Paul. Sorry, I got all churchy on you there. Um, <laughs> they, well, it's, it's not just Paul. It's Paul, Peter, John. They, the ones that all wrote letters. Okay. Hmm? After Acts and before Revelation. Right, everything in between Acts and Revelation are epistles. They're all letters. And some of them were written specifically to one church, and some of them were written to be circulated among the churches. Right. Well, like Peter's epistles, Peter's letters were, were circular, circulating letters, and so they weren't written to any particular church, but they were written to the churches. And so they would circulate among the churches. And there would be some, uh, some of Paul's 
like he wrote to the Galatians. Well, Galatia was a province. And so there were different churches within that province. Right? Yeah. They were circulated. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we don't, we don't build off of those in place of the gospel. Okay. And we understand those through the gospel, not the other way around. Yeah. All right, so as we're reading in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. Uh, there was some, there was some language there that Paul, on purpose. Now, this is just a little bonus. You can take this or leave it if it means anything to you. But he uses a language here that he's reproducing, and he, he reproduces a tense from the Old Testament as he's writing this. And you can find that in Exodus thirty-four, thirty-five. If you want to turn there real quick, I don't have a lot of teaching off this. I just thought it was a neat thing where they took this, where Paul, of course, knew the Old Testament. He, he was a scholar in the Old Testament. And he took this phraseology from, from Exodus 34, 35, and he put it right here in the 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So Exodus 34, 35, anybody want to read that? Now, when Moses... When Moses wore the veil, why did he wear the veil? You remember the story? For the people, right. But why? Okay, that, that's the popular thought on it. The New Testament answers that question, though. The New Testament answers why he wore the veil. Because it was fading. He didn't want because they didn't want the people to see the glory fading. 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 See, he would go into the presence of God and his, his face would be illuminated. But then over time it would fade. And so he wore the veil so you couldn't see it fading. That's what the New Testament tells us. All right. But the popular notion is he wore it because the people were afraid. And in, there's reasons why that's believed, but the New Testament clarifies it. And so the idea is he was losing his glory because he had left the presence of God. And so his face would lose its glory. And he wore a veil to cover that. Now... Never. Well, it's not even. It's not even that. If you if you look into First, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, you look. If you look into those, if you look at what he says about the glory, it, it says that we're being changed. Not only doesn't it fade, but it describes us as being in the presence of Jesus. And, and that we're being changed from glory to ever-increasing glory. So our glory is increasing while his glory had faded. Right? So we're actually on the upside of that. It's a totally different kind of relationship. 
it's a totally different place. It's a totally different relationship, understanding, and agreement that we're in right now. But it's important that we understand that. See, we, we keep trying to, in, for a lot of people, it's almost like they're trying to be Old Testament Christians in the New Testament church. And, and you can't. There's no comparison. But that, that seems to be the popular notion. If you want to be a really serious Christian, quote unquote, then it's almost like, and I can probably go into this a lot further as to how it's like this, but it's almost like you're an Old Testament person trying to be a Christian. Then you know you're serious about being a Christian. That's not the way the New Testament describes it. And that's not what Jesus is looking for either. And so the provision that's being made for us in the New Testament is a lot different. And the expectations we should have of our relationship with God should be a lot different. And the understanding that we draw from that relationship, the understanding that we can draw from being filled with the Holy Spirit, the understanding that we have that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, according to Jesus, should be that we have a bigger, better expectation for who we are in God than anybody just about in the Old Testament could have had. Really, what anybody could have had. Because as their glory is fading, I mean, Moses, he, he stood in the presence of God. Nobody else can really say that. Not like that. Not like he did. And he would glow because of it. I mean, who even understands that? But as great as that was, it was still fading. It was still fading. But here we are in the presence of God. We live in the presence of God. Something they could only dream about, something they could only wish for. We live in the presence of God, and the glory that we live in, we were changing from glory to ever-increasing glory. So it's this whole other side of the equation that leaves that behind. And that's the point they're trying to make. That was the word of the transfiguration, and that's also the word of 2 Corinthians 3, is that we're leaving that behind. And we're moving forward into something bigger and better. So the glory of the Old Covenant is fading. And the Old Covenant was glorious at its dispensation. In other words, when it was given, that was the road toward where we were going. That was the road toward Jesus. That was the road toward the cross. And so it was glorious, glorious at the time. But then when, then when the, the, the New Covenant, then when... Jesus appeared, then when God brought forth this new agreement, it lost its glory. It was thrown into the shade. And the only way I know to describe this is think about during the day. What do you see up in the sky during the day? The sun. It's blue, and you got the sun, and there's some clouds up there, right? What do you see at night? And what else? And stars. All right, do you know if there wasn't any sun, you would still see that? There'd still be stars in the sky. That you, you ever see the moon during the day? You can see it every now and then. Mm -hmm. You see, the idea here is this, is that the moon and the stars, they're out there, and at night, if it's dark, they can be really bright. But during the day, you can't even see them because the sun's so bright. And that's the only way I understand how to describe this. You've got this, this new covenant. You've got this new agreement. You've got God saying, this is the new thing. 
And it is so glorious, it is so bright, it just drowns out all the other stuff that used to look bright. Like all that stuff at night. When I'm out hiking in the mountains, one of the last things I do is turn on my headlight. My headlamp. I try to hike as long as I can without it. And let my eyes adjust to as dark as I can possibly make it. And there's some nights that the moon is so bright. And it's snow on the ground in the wintertime that I can hike with just the moon if it's a full moon. Because I can see because it's dark enough that I can see with it enough that I can hike without a light on my head and my eyes will never have to adjust to the light. Right? But when it's daylight, I don't even think about putting the lamp on my head, do I? No. I might even have to put on sunglasses if it's too bright. And, and so here is... Here is the, the comparison I want you to make in your mind. New thing God is doing, bright as the sun, daytime. The sky is just blue and there's clouds. All right, we came out of a nighttime where the brightest thing we had was the old covenant. The brightest thing we had was Moses and Elijah and the prophets. That was the brightest thing they had. And so they made their way by that. But now it's daytime and we got a bright, sunshiny day. And so all those things have just faded away. You can't even see them anymore. Well, we're, we're living in a different time, right? It's a whole different time. We're seeing things bigger and better than anybody saw them. We have access to that kind of revelation. How many more things you see during the day than you do at night? A lot more. You see, you see all kinds of things you see in the daylight that you don't see in the night. And so, and so you can trip, you can fall, there's ditches, there's whatever at the nighttime. Daytime is bright, you can see. And you, and, and you have so much more revelation as to what's going on around you. That's where we live. That's a powerful statement as to where we are right now in this story and in this account and in this time in history. What a privilege it is to live now. What a privilege it is to live uh, between the cross and the resurrection and the coming of Jesus. This is where we're at. And I know people are waiting for Jesus, and yeah, we look forward to that, but there's a lot of revelation here. There's a lot of understanding here. There's a lot more than we can see right now if we'll look and we'll open our eyes we'll let God teach us and tutor us and lead us into more understanding. There's so much that can be seen, and there's so much that we can take hold of, that we can grasp in our spirit. We can grasp with our minds, our hearts, our souls, so much. If we're willing, we'll put ourselves in that position. If we'll, we'll put ourselves into the, that moment. So everything's been, all that old stuff's been thrown into the shade. It's been thrown into the shade. It's been out-dazzled. Literally. It's been out-dazzled. That was one of the... The interpretations of the wording I read was out-dazzled. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> Glorious, splendid, excellent. That The idea of the new is greater. So this new agreement and this new understanding and this new covenant, this new revelation is that much greater. Glorious, splendid, excellent, out-dazzling. The word greater. Awesome. Awesome. There is no comparison. 
It is a transcendent glory. The greater light swallows up the rest. That idea of glory there interpreted is a superabundant glory. Superabundant glory. And that's what we're living in. And the old is being done away with. Understand that. Let's look in some Hebrews here. Hebrews 7. We're going to, we're going to go through Hebrews a little bit. So stay, keep a finger in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians. But turn to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verses 11 and 12. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Okay, so there's... There, we're beginning this idea of that's all been done away with. We have a new priesthood. Not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. That's the new priesthood. And that's Jesus. That's who that is. That's who that is. And so that speaks to the law. And so the law is being spoken to. And so as the law fades, as the priesthood fades, we have an understanding that Jesus is rising. Jesus is more visible. Jesus is more glorious. Hebrews 8, 6. All right, now, from that verse, can you tell me which one's superior? Jesus. And it's established on better promises. It's established, it's just a greater thing. It's a greater covenant. He's a greater priest. So everything about it is greater and superior. All right, now Hebrews 9, 1 through 9. Hebrews 9, 1 through 9.
Okay, so as you as she's reading that, you get the picture, and he's just recounting, the author of the letter is just recounting the, the order of Old Testament worship. And by doing so, what he says is this, and he ends up with this, is that you can't really fully enter into relationship with Christ as long as the old tabernacle is standing in your heart. That tabernacle needs to be torn down. The sacrifices that were being made, those Old Testament sacrifices, need to be stopped. And that's what he's saying. He's like, as long as you got part of your heart with that tabernacle, and you got part of your heart with those sacrifices, and you think somehow, some way that those things are anything to do with what's going on now, you can't fully enter into what Jesus has done. That needs to stop. And so the priesthood needs to fade away. The old covenant needs to fade away. The tabernacle and all the Old Testament worship needs to fade away. It's got to go. The old sacrifices and the old sacrificial system needs to fade away. It's got to go. Now, why am I talking about this like this? What, what does this have to do with us as New Testament Christians? Why would I be bringing this up? Why would the author of Hebrews be bringing this up? Why would Paul, writing to the Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, bring this up in Second Corinthians? Why? Why is this important? We're not, as I said, we're not Jewish. None of us are, I don't think, here now. But why? But why? I mean, most of the people in Corinth weren't Jewish either. Why is he bringing this up? Anybody? Why do you think? You think Christians would do that, Dave? <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a part of us that wants that. There's a part of us as a people that we want the ritual. We want that. We want that, that somebody telling us what to do. We want the rules and the regulations. We want that. Or we feel safe in that or something. There's something about it that we as a people like. And if you let a, a whatever it is, a, a group of Believers go long enough, they will develop rituals. They just will. And they will follow those rituals. And things that had been spontaneous in the past will become rituals in the present and the future. It's, uh, it's easier. Right? Right. Yeah, but most people just rebel against it anyways, and then cover it with the grace. Oh, God's grace and mercy. Well, then that's and there's the issue, right? And here's the issue: we part of us desires that, but it practically doesn't work. That's the problem. Now, 
this is going to be weird, and I want you to just follow along with me. We, we are made, we were created in God's image, not in a slave's image. And so ultimately, when we take the role of a slave, we rebel against it. All right? And so even though we create the prison, we create the means by which we are enslaved, we still rebel against it. Because there's a part of us that wants the security in that and wants to blame somebody else and not have the responsibility. And so we create this system... But then there's that other part of us that we were made in God's image. We were made free. And it is a part of us, and we are endowed with that from creation. And so that they duke it out. They fight it out. Now, you can add into that rebellion, disobedience, sin of all kinds. You can add in a bunch of stuff if you want. I'm just keeping it kind of at basic principles here and how we were made, and we, we will rebel against that. The, the idea behind the new covenant is it's relationship-based, and that's what we were created to live in. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were created to live in relationship with their God. They were to walk with him in the cool of the day. They were to converse with him, talk with him, and that was their function, part of their function. And then they were to tend to the garden, whatever God had for them to do. But that's what we were created to do. And so the new covenant meets that need. It meets that requirement that allows us to live in what we were created to do. Instead of trying to pen us in or trying to keep us from doing something wrong. Or trying to save us from ourselves. The new covenant is the ultimate expression of us actually finding ourselves in the created order of things and living the way that God created us to live that's what it is and so all the other things all those that fenced in whatever that was that the law represents and the law was a fence around us it was to keep us like we knew how far we could go but if you take a step over that you're wrong i mean the law you think about the the law what it revealed to us it 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 was the law revealed to us what sin is. The law revealed that God's above us. The law revealed the wrath of God. The law revealed a God that was sometimes against us even. The law revealed that, that, that we were flawed and we were doomed to failure. That's what it told us. But you think about the gospel and it shows grace and God with us and the righteousness of God by faith and living by faith. And it, it shows us grace and it shows us mercy through Jesus. All those things. That's, that's what the new covenant shows us. What the gospel shows us. And so, it, whatever was in the past, the gospel, according to these verses in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians there, it says that the gospel and the new covenant will last forever. So, the gospel without alteration just the way it was preached, just the way Jesus talked about it, the gospel will last until the end of time. And that covenant will remain the same. This covenant that we're living in right now, this gospel that we believe, this gospel that's a part of who we are, is going to remain the same to the end of time. And the covenant will remain the same forever. Because it's built on a rock. 
It's built on a rock. And that rock is Jesus. And it is life for us. And, and so that rock is built on the idea of relationship with him. And so because it's built on the idea of relationship and, and it's between us and him, it's, it's very, it's very, in the sense that God created it, it's very Garden of Eden-like. And that's where God has for us. We have to choose to live there, though. Like I said before, if you're still in the tabernacle, you're not going to fully experience this. If you're still living under the law, you're not going to fully experience this. And I've been told by lots of people, like, you can't tell people that. They'll just go crazy and do whatever they want to do, but they don't. They do what they want to do anyhow. All right? Right, right, and and I know, you know, because I, I came out of a church. It's part of the church background I came out of was very legalistic. Even though they claimed they weren't legalistic, they were legalistic. And there were certain things I had to wear, certain ways I had to dress, certain places I could go, certain places I couldn't go, certain things I could listen to, certain things I couldn't listen to, certain things I could read, certain things I couldn't read. But you know what? I still read those things. I still went to those movies. I still didn't wear the right thing. The pastor had to carry a comb in his pocket to comb my hair on Sunday mornings because I didn't do my hair the right way. Are you a hippie? Not a hippie. Not exactly. You had long hair at all? I was never a hippie. I had long hair. I, I did have some long hair for a while. Well, I had I had really long hair. My hair was long enough to braid uh, in the like 1982-83, and then uh, I was it was long again in the early 90s. But I wore a black suit with a conservative tie. And I preached out of a King James Bible. And he'd comb my hair. I had my uh, publicity shot taken. I worked for the uh, statewide organization over the churches that I was a part of. So they had, they had to do a PR shot for me so they could put it in publications. I had to pull my hair back into a ponytail so they could take the shot at the right angle so it looked like I had short hair. Yeah. Never. <laughs> so, so, so what, I, what I'm trying to get at is that the contrast is being played out here and the contrast is being emphasized by Paul, by the writer of Hebrews, and by Jesus. The reason that it's being emphasized is that people want to hold on to the old. But they can't fully experience the new till they let go of the old. 
And I want to encourage you tonight to let go of the old. And I, if you're brought up, the more religious you are, the harder it is. It really is. It's really hard to let go of that because it seems so safe. Yeah. Right. How am I supposed to live for him? And, and so it's like, it goes back to what you said. You know, people keep looking for a way to make a ritual out of something. Right. Yeah, and we, we have that in us to try to do that. We want ten steps to relationship with Jesus. Three signs that you know Jesus. Five things that can let you know Jesus is in your heart. I mean, we love that stuff. It's in every magazine. It's in it's every book. We want that. We want, you know, that whatever security comes from that or false sense of security that we could possibly get from that, we want it. But that's not a relationship and, at all. and that's not how it goes, though. That really isn't how it goes. So that, that creates a situation where we're kind of just out there in the deep end with Jesus, just treading water with him, swimming with him, Jesus and the dolphins. But we don't, we don't know you know, what's on the bottom. We don't know if we could even touch if we had to, and it's okay. But that's a good place to be. It's just convincing ourselves that is a good place to be, that we've swam out into the real place, the real sea, the real ocean, the real waters. We're out there now with him. And allow him to define that now, what that's going to look like, what that's going to be what it sounds like, what it feels like. I'm okay with that, and I, I want people to, to, to get their own experience with that. I was going to mention this earlier, too. When we started this church, we are fully aware of what I'm talking about tonight, and one of the things we seriously considered in our bylaws was to put a sunset clause in it, that after a certain number of years, we were thinking like 20 years, that we'd, this church would just shut down. And then, and then assets would either be given to another thing that would start up or would be distributed to whoever. We, couldn't, we didn't go that far, but we were thinking, you know, maybe 20 years is the lifetime that any church could exist without getting a bunch of rituals together instead of experiences and reality. We didn't know. And so we figured we'd just play it by ear. You know, like, who knows? We'll see. And and so here we are. So you're seeing you're you're suggesting that maybe that's a illustration of the historical progression yeah. from Moses through Elijah to Jesus. Yeah, like we 
and so we're in the we're in the good cook part now. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're all like master chefs, right? All right, yeah. Well, we should be. Yeah. Well, we, we actually have a master chef that speaks directly to us and that models with us, and, and we, we work alongside, he works alongside us, and we with him. Right. Right. right good. Absolutely. All right, any other comments or questions? We're trying to rebel out of the image that we've been created in. That's not going to end well. So let's take a few minutes of prayer, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to really quicken this in us, bring it to life. Uh, when, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into him a breath of life, a pneuma. And the Bible says that Adam became a living soul. And God did that. So not only was his flesh formed, but his soul was formed. He was given a spirit. Life came. So Heavenly Father, as we consider that, God, we ask you to breathe into us. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would quicken us and, and bring us to life and bring life into us. I ask you, God, that we would, this idea of that this relationship would be even clearer to us tonight. And that you would quicken that in our spirits of really leaving behind the tabernacle and leaving behind the law in order to really enter into the relationship that you have for us, to enter into our created purposes and your created plans for our lives, to be the people that you made us to be, literally made us to be, formed us to be, and brought us to life to be. And so, Jesus, I pray that you'll bring that to life in us, that you'd bring, God, uh, that 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 sensed to life in us of, of walking with you in the cool of the day, that you'd bring to life that sense in us of talking to you and, and spending time with you every day, that you begin to build our expectations of what it means to live in this time and to live in this moment in history, this moment in the God story of what our life can be like and, and of God, who you want us and how you want us to live and to be. So God, tonight I, I just pray for a quickening, a quickening in us of our spirit, that you would bring us to life. I pray, Holy Spirit, you bring us to life, bring us into a better place, a deeper place in relationship with you. 
I pray for those that came out of religious backgrounds that leave the tabernacle behind. They'd make some decisions tonight to really leave that behind and to swim out into the deep water. People that are coming out of some pretty heavy backgrounds in religion would be able to cast aside the things of that religion and really just swim out into the deep water with you, Jesus. And find their their place and their life and their righteousness and their love and their grace and their mercy and their truth, their hope, their purpose, their future in you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Just take a few moments just to just to breathe in the Holy Spirit. Just let him fill you in your innermost being. Let that life kindle in you tonight. Let him set aflame some some real life in your spirit tonight. Set aflame some real life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for, I just pray for more revelation. I pray for more understanding. And I ask God that your Holy Spirit would continue to teach us, continue to grow us and mature us. God, I want to be closer to you. Continue to lead us and guide us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 God bless you tonight. Thanks for coming. Thanks. And we'll see you.